You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 308 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. There are many ways you can support the podcast. One way which I suspect you haven't done is send me some Bitcoin. The link to my wallet is in the program notes. Of course, I understand if you won't send me one or two Bitcoin, uh, unless you are very generous, but hopefully you can send me bits of Bitcoin. That'd be cool. I never earned Bitcoin before, so let's make it happen. Speaking of Bitcoin, in this episode my guest is Lady Anarchy. She is an expert when it comes to Bitcoin, especially concerning security. Let's get right down to business. So thanks for being on the podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> Can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Lady Anarchy, or some people know me as Anastasia in person. And I've been in the Bitcoin space since 2016. Um, I started out because uh, 2016 was a really crazy time in the US. And I am a United States native. I've lived there for 20 years, although originally I'm Russian. And um, I got into like the libertarian community and then the anarchist community, anarchy meaning uh, no slaves, no masters, no rulers kind of thing, not like throwing Molotov cocktails at police, you know, all super peaceful philosophy, um, but really, really focused on natural law, focused on freedom, focused on um, preserving human rights, etc. So I was really into that. And I was doing a lot of work with spreading education about the Federal Reserve System. Um, we did a uh, uh, like end the end the Fed event in Philadelphia at the time with a bunch of other like anarchists slash Bitcoiners. And so I was really, really involved in that freedom movement. Um, and I found out about Bitcoin, of course, because it's all, you know, tied together um, and realized that financial um, freedom and financial education is one of the most important things for us as humanity to preserve our freedom because our finances, our wealth is really tied to everything that we are, right? We use our physical body to work. We use our brain to work. We use our voice uh, to get out our ideas and our products and our services. Really everything that we create um, in an exchange with other human beings is tied to finances, tied to money uh, because money is like the fundamental, um, like a fundamental uh, step within within human society. And it's fundamental because on an energetic level, it is just energetic exchange between different individuals. And then in the material, like third dimensional sense, money is, you know, the physical, either gold, cash, or the kind of digital information. And I would say in the sense, information is still physical in a way. Um, that, you know, Bitcoin is, is that physical representation of that energetic exchange. So I started a company a couple years ago called Be Your Own Vault. And it's an education company that teaches people how to secure their Bitcoin, how to hold it, hold, hold it, excuse me, hold it correctly, how to 
um, pass it on to your heirs, to your, you know, children and, and parents, if anything were to happen to you, um, how to, you know, use multi-sig, et cetera, et cetera. So basically to just, to just really teach people how to be their own vault for their finances, because Bitcoin, as much sovereignty and responsibility as it gives us, it also comes with a bit of a learning curve. When I discovered Bitcoin, it was so long ago that it was... In those days, it was really complicated. If you're not a computer wizard, it's really hard to even figure out how to get one. Or uh, In those days, you could buy a whole one very cheap. It's not like today. But um, And uh, I recently, just the other week, uh, tried to find out how a beginner could buy a Bitcoin and how to get it to your own uh, uh, Bitcoin wallet and that. And, and I still think it's a bit complicated for average Joe. Um, have you seen any changes in this or something that's coming to make it like easy? Because when I talk to people who are not involved in this, because I'm aware that both you and me are in a sort of bubble, but when you talk about Bitcoin to normal people, uh, most of them might, might have heard the phrase, but that's that's the end of their knowledge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do think that it has become easier um, since even just 2017, which was kind of like, I think, the um, the big reveal of Bitcoin to kind of like the mainstream. Like people have heard about it beforehand, but 2017 was when Bitcoin really like stood out on the map because it went up all the way to $20,000. You know, everybody was talking about it. It was just such a huge bull run. And I think a lot of really great companies came out of that era um, now it's pretty simple. Like a lot of financial apps that people use regularly, like for example, cash app, um, is incorporating Bitcoin into, into their applications and you can, and they're like, you know, just regular kind of fiat to Bitcoin on ramps. Um, most of them are regulated. Uh, so, but, but they give that convenience and that simplicity to people who are not very, tech oriented who just are kind of in the mainstream don't really aren't really interested in spending the time to get into the intricacies of bitcoin or maybe to use non kyc stuff although security wise i really do recommend non kyc onboarding applications or exchanges uh but i would say that it's a lot easier than it used to be back in the day like back in the day i think we only had local bitcoins and while i still believe that that is a really good way to um, buy and sell, it definitely comes with its own level of trust. Like you have to go out, you have to meet the person in a public place, you have to kind of check them out, see if they're shady, you know, see if they're, they seem genuine, see if they're not like part of any government organization. <laughs> and then, and then you have to try to um, exchange with them like a small amount just to make sure. And then the second time you meet them, maybe you could exchange a bigger amount and the next time a bigger account. And once you guys have a bit of um, like a rapport and a bit of trust built between you two, then you can talk about really buying or selling large amounts of Bitcoin. Uh, but now it's as easy as going onto Cash App and just signing in with your phone number and then buying it and then moving your Bitcoin to a non-custody wallet, which I think is where the um, the learning curve is at the at this point. I don't think it's so much in the realm of the buying and selling part. It's the storing part that we still have a lot of education to do. You know, you can buy gold and uh, keep it under your mattress, or you can buy gold and have the gold company hold it for you. Uh, but then you might as well just have your money in the bank. 
so if when you have when you buy Bitcoin on those uh, exchanges and they hold it there, you might as well have normal money. So the thing about having it, you know, off the grid, you know, that's uh, that's what I think is difficult for people to get, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. And I don't recommend anybody keep it on an exchange for a really long time, right? Like the only reason why you would need to keep your Bitcoin on an exchange is if you were a trader. And a trader, in my opinion, is it's a profession, it's a lifestyle, it's something that people study for, that people should really like have their entire like life kind of revolve around this this way of getting income and, and trading and, and, and moving money around. And even then, I would definitely, you know, harp on risk management and making sure that you're taking profits and making sure that those profits are in cold storage, etc. Um, so I definitely agree with you. Like, people should not keep their Bitcoin on an exchange. It's just an on-ramp. And I think a lot of people, like, once they kind of realize that, yes, an exchange is exactly like a bank, they own your keys, they could go under tomorrow, they can become bankrupt, they can be a scam. The Just the team who's involved, like, you know, no hate to them, but they could just be really unorganized, um, poorly managed, right? Um, could just not really care. They could be underpaid. Like, all of these different risk factors can in, are included in any company. So you really want to think of them as just a company. They could be not, you know, not liquid. They could be saying that they have so much Bitcoin in reserve, but they don't. And if everybody, for whatever reason, decides to pull their Bitcoin out of that exchange, um, maybe they won't have enough to, you know, to give it to everybody. And it's the same issue that we have with the bank. And Bitcoin was created by Satoshi Nakamoto, right? He wrote the white paper. And in the white paper, he specifically said that this is a technology that does not need to, to have a third party involved between that transaction of moving money from one account to another account. So staying true to that vision, because not only is that vision um, an innovation within the financial system. It's also something that's really, really important in the evolution of humanity. Like we, you know, started out with the printing press that before that only monks and churches were able to transcribe books. And so only a limited amount of people had to, uh, had access to books. And when they did have access to books, you had to trust that those monks or priests or whoever didn't mistranslate or didn't lie or didn't omit things out of those books. But after the printing press, they were able to just print massive amounts of books and then people could compare like, yeah, my book is the same as your book. And so it gave that transparency and it got rid of that third party that they had to trust for these books to get out to the public. So Bitcoin is the same kind of technology. It gets rid of those third parties. So it doesn't really make sense to continue to trust the third parties if we have a really good new technology that specifically gets rid of that problem. Um, so in that case, yes, absolutely. Like having a non-custodial wallet where you are the only owner of those keys, those 12 or 24 words, um, is is really important because then you know that you are completely 100% in control of those funds and nobody can take them from you, um, meaning like within third-party risk, like there's still physical security that you have to think about, right? If um, you have to think about scams, you have to think about social engineering, um, 
you know, you have to think about, again, inheritance and what happens to your Bitcoin once you're gone. You have to think about user error and how you set up your own security structure because not only, like, ownership comes with responsibility. So you have to have some kind of responsibility. And instead of the banks or the exchanges handling the risk, you are the one who is now handling the risk. And that's that's where I think, um, again, like, that's where we need the education and that's where people... Just need a little bit of help to figure out because it's a it's a process. It's a process that we're moving into this new place, um, and it'll take a couple of years, I think. The reason they invented paper money was because it was very inconvenient to carry gold and and other valuables around. So money was a a logical invention, but with Bitcoin, um, it's gone even further, I think, because. One beautiful thing with Bitcoin, uh, somebody said, I don't know who said it, but you can basically, if you memorize your keywords, uh, you, it's easy to remember 12 or 24 words. You can basically walk naked across a border and bring all your money with you. You know, it's completely like, uh, it solves the problem they had uh, thousands of years ago about traveling with all your money. Uh, with rob- Nobody can rob your brain, you know, like... It's it, that's what I like about it, um, but uh, what do you think? Gover- is that why governments are are not fully supporting this because it's very difficult to tax your mind, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that our current um, government and banking structures uh, like the control that they have over people, and again, finances are a really like strong tool of war, right? Like I always, I because I'm an anarchist, I don't vote. I believe that voting for your masters is a really poor way to stay free. And so I vote with my quote unquote dollar, right? I vote with my money because giving somebody money then funds whatever philosophy or whatever ideas or whatever wants and desires that that person has. So if you're giving money to organizations that continuously try to control you, control your life, manipulate your, you know, your environment around you, then that's a really poor investment and you probably shouldn't give money to those kinds of organizations or those kinds of people. Um, But if you are giving your money over to organizations and people who are, you know, naturally good or agree with your values, you know, have the same values as you do, if they are doing something that you think will benefit society and benefit of the the world, if they're doing so voluntarily and not forcing anybody into their you know dream or their structure or their company, then then that's that's a good way, you know, to to spend your money. So, yeah, that's that's where I stand on that. <laughs> it's very difficult to fully live with Bitcoin. I mean. Depends on what country you're in. They're all different in how they set up. But where I live anyway, you know, a lot of it is based on my annual salary. So with with your mortgage on your house or um, taxes and that, you know, um, it's all intertwined. So it's, it's hard to get out of it. So for me, Bitcoin is, is like a side thing. I can't like go over to it or it's very difficult. Um, and... Uh, uh, I guess it comes down to if, you know, like as soon as I can buy milk and bread with Bitcoin, it makes it easier. But right now I can't, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I recently moved back to Russia 
And like living in America and being and, and even in Mexico, I was able to use uh, Bitcoin in Mexico quite a lot. Um, but some of it really just related to, you know, talking to a person who had like local cash and then just selling them Bitcoin and then getting cash back and then using that cash to buy, um, which isn't the most efficient system, right? Like you really have to think ahead about your finances and um really kind of plan ahead, um, especially with price fluctuations, you really have to plan ahead of like, how much Bitcoin am I going to sell now? How much am I willing to hold in fiat? What does that fiat need to be used for? And I do have to admit that in America, it was much easier. I mean, the US has companies, again, like Cash App, right, that where you can send Bitcoin to whoever, and it's easy to transact back and forth because it's an exchange. Um, But also companies like Lowly and Bitrefill and Fold, right? Those companies offer you gift cards to shop at places like Walmart, which absolutely does have bread and milk and and groceries and clothing and all the other stuff, Um, as well as other companies. Like um, they have, they have partnerships with, with many different companies that are helpful to, you know, to getting products and services for everyday life. So, but moving back to Russia was a little bit of a, I guess like a culture shock uh, as as far as Bitcoin is concerned, because we just don't have that kind of structure here. Um, in fact, in Russia, uh, for a business to accept Bitcoin is illegal. There is a law against, you know, against companies being able to, um, to accept it as legal tender, and so. In that case, obviously, it hasn't had as much ease of adoption here. Um, So again, I'm kind of stuck in the same place that I was in Mexico, where I have to figure out, you know, find a trusted party that's non-KYC or use an exchange or a bot that's connected to a Russian bank and then trade that Bitcoin into local cash. But because we've seen the United States kind of set the example for for ways to use Bitcoin on the regular. Um, I think most other countries and most other places will follow suit eventually. It'll just probably take a little bit longer. Uh, but it is difficult to get out of the, the old financial system. It took me like three or four years to get out of the American financial system. By the time I left, I was pretty much unbanked. And then I got to Russia and it was just so much more difficult. And I had to rebank myself basically in this country to be able to you know, to be able to interact with, with the society. And I live in a huge city, like I live in Moscow. So obviously like in the village where people tend to use cash more often, it would pretty much be very similar um, as, as what I went through in Mexico. But in a big city, you know, if, if I'm meeting with friends and we split the bill and somebody pays and then you have to like pay them back, it's all done through your phone number. It's, it's really terrible for security. It makes me so nauseous all the time, but there's really nothing I can do because everybody's like, oh, well, you know, like they won't use a credit card machine or they're like, oh, well, no, I don't have any change for cash. Can you just send it to my account? And you send it to their account through their phone number. So you put, you go into your bank app, you put in their phone number, and then you pay them that way. And it's easy and convenient. And of course, the majority of people are going to use it because it's easy and convenient. And because they've never thought about the things that I've thought about, like knowing what the Federal Reserve System has done to the world. Um, and so they have no like philosophical qualms about it. It's just what is done by everybody. So it, it, it's, I mean, but that, it's still going to take a little bit for Bitcoin to really be strongly adopted. So I'm not 
so much worried about the state that we're in right now um, because there are companies and people who are showing the way and, and building tools for us to be able to integrate this into our our financial society in every country. It'll just take time. I have more Bitcoin knowledge than maybe than the average person, but compared to you, I, I'm an amateur. <laughs> Thank you. I can tell that from you speaking. But um, so maybe what I'm saying now is wrong. But one thing that is a bit confusing with Bitcoin is, is there a way they can like make it so you can more easily understand how much something is? Because when it's when it's like uh, seven, eight numbers, it's very hard for the brain to like, what, is that like a dollar or how much is that? You know, some sort of like code that, changes it to a simple number because now it's very complicated I think with uh, with all those long strings of digits um we're so early I hate that's such a cliche thing to say but we are so early because because of these things that you bring up um for now it's just that's just the way that the te- technology has kind of grown so yeah the addresses can be a little bit scary right for that like we we kind of solved that problem a little bit with qr codes a lot of uh mobile wallets now use qr codes instead of those addresses so unless you're and even if you're going from like platform to platform um you're, you can still use QR codes for the most part. Obviously, when you're in person, you can use QR codes. You don't have to send somebody your full, you know, address. Um, but as far as for counting in Satoshis, which is, you know, the point zero 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 eight places one uh, part of Bitcoin, that is very much even even regular like even OG bitcoiners still have trouble in in counting that stuff out and we have to remember that we're going through a huge um globally financial upheaval at the moment like the old systems are crumbling and the new systems are still being built so we're in this in between place at the moment where everything is valued incorrectly Right. Because there's a lot of inflation, um, because our money is corrupt and broken globally, because it's based on the U.S. dollar, because it's not backed by gold, um, because it has an unlimited supply, because it's completely controlled by the whims of a few hundred families. Right. Or a few organizations that are just unprepared to be able to. Uh, handle that type of responsibility. Like, I mean, like being responsible for the entire global financial system isn't a joke and you're going to mess up because you're human, right? We're not infallible. So we are not pricing things correctly right now. We see it in the real estate markets, right? Like, especially in America, houses are just astronomical prices for a one bedroom in Los Angeles. And it just doesn't, it doesn't fit what would logically be the correct pricing of, of those things, right? Because of inflation, groceries are going up into twice, three times the amount that they were last year. Um, in, in Russia, we just had the dollar compared to the ruble jump up like 10 rubles. So the ruble was, uh, what was it? A dollar was 65 rubles at the end of 2021. And I came back like at the end of January in 2022 and the ruble was 70 like it was 75 rubles per dollar so that's like a 
you know, that's a 10 ruble jump. And that is definitely reflected in the market. It's definitely reflected in restaurants. That's reflected in grocery stores. And it's crazy that that's the amount that a currency can jump in 30 days. And of course, we saw this in Russia a bunch of years ago when the Ukraine crisis first started or when Crimea stuff was happening as well. Um, And it jumped from 30 rubles to 80 rubles in like a span of a couple of months and then fell back and fluctuated and it never went back down to that 30. Uh, We see this in countries like Venezuela and Cuba where the inflation like is just is just hyper out of control. Right. And that's why in Venezuela, people are were literally like just throwing this cash paper on the ground like it was like it was worthless because it was so because of all of those factors. We are, we are in this in-between place where things aren't priced correctly. And it's going to take us a little bit of time to unravel that and figure that out. And I think this is where Bitcoin steps in and has potential to shine. Because eventually, <clears throat> the more that we start using like the Lightning Network, for example, right? The more that we start counting things in Satoshis, the more that the more valuable that Bitcoin, like a whole Bitcoin becomes, the more we'll be able to, excuse me, the more we'll be able to delineate that full Bitcoin from that 0.0001. And then eventually we'll just call it one Satoshi, five Satoshis. You know, maybe a loaf of bread will cost 10 Satoshis. Maybe um, a nice steak dinner for two will cost 50 Satoshis. And at that point, we won't really have to think about it in that way. But the underlining technology, because instead of inflating the amount of Bitcoins out there, there's only going to be 21 million, right? We don't have to create more Bitcoins after that. We just have to continuously divide them into 0.0000 more places if we ever need to. So in that case, it doesn't create that same inflationary structure as our fiat currencies do. And we'll be able to, you know, it'll it'll become natural for us to price things in in that kind of mathematical system. Does that make sense? Yeah, but can it can't it inflate backwards? I mean, can't you divide something up forever? Well, it, that doesn't that doesn't create inflation. That doesn't devalue the money because you're not producing more of the money. You're just counting it, like you're counting it. You're dividing the whole coin into tiny little pieces. You're not creating more coins. So it's not inflationary in that way. It's it's weird, right? Because it's like you're thinking about it. Like you're thinking. We're usually thinking about numbers in like a negative zero and then a positive way as whole numbers. We don't think about fractions, and fractions function differently mathematically than than whole numbers in a way, right? So, do you think somebody who bought Bitcoin like ten years ago and they today they're like, oh, I should have bought more because it's so expensive? Do you think they'll say the same thing in like ten years again? <laughs> Uh, maybe I, I hate predictions because I think things can change really quickly. Um, I am a believer that, you know, Bitcoin will succeed in the end. Uh, but I also think that Bitcoin is a, is a transitional currency. I think that as humanity expands spiritually and evolves spiritually, that money isn't necessarily going to play the role in society that it does today. Like there will be different ways of exchanging energy, um, which I won't go into, you know, too deeply. But the fact remains is that while we do use Bitcoin, 
Um, I think, I think, yeah, it will continue increasing in value. Um, it, it might go through a bunch of hiccups. Like, I'm not sure um, if these if these new wars will create atmospheres where governments actually shut off all internet for however many you know for however much time maybe it'll be short maybe it'll be long um maybe that we will have to deal with more important things than using the internet for money right um there just could be a bunch of like black swan events that happen that might set bitcoin back a little bit but overall in the long term i do think that it will increase in value and i do think that those people are going to be like wow i really i really should have done that um but i still think that we have a lot of battles ahead of us there's still a lot of things that could go wrong um there's still a lot of social and political attacks against bitcoin that could occur and i think the community at large um, really needs to hold true and fast to the values of what Bitcoin can bring us because it is possible to lose that along the way and 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 create corruption within it because any financial system kind of you know kind of uh, I guess um, I don't know attracts corruption a little bit because humans humans can add greedy. Um, but on the hopeful side of that, right? Like I try to balance the scales all the time. I try to be like, okay, well, this is the worst case scenario. But then in the base, best case scenario, uh, Bitcoin is really teaching us, like I know for a lot of Bitcoiners and myself included, um, it has really taken us out of this, this poverty or this lack mindset. And because of that, like the only reason I believe that people are not naturally in quotes, right? Naturally, unnaturally greedy or, um, uh, or hoard you know, goods and hoard money and, and, and try to get more and more money uh, to do the things that they want is because they're terrified of not having enough, right? They're terrified of becoming homeless. They're terrified of losing their family. They're terrified of not being able to take care of their children. Um, they're terrified of losing influence over others if they're really rich, right? Or maybe lose power because of their um, financial privilege. And I think that the more that Bitcoin goes up in value, the more uh, secure and safe we all feel because we know that even if we fall on hard times, even if we lose our jobs, even if, you know, everything in our life blows up and we have to take some time to really like focus on our on our inner world. We know that Bitcoin is going to continue increasing in value and that gives us that safety net, net that financial uh, cushion that people usually don't have. And the more that that happens, the less I believe there will be greed in the world because that fear of not having enough will slowly dwindle out. I know that's happened for me in my life. Like I'm not worried if I don't have clients, you know, for a whole month. I'm not worried that, um, that, you know, that I have to hustle every single day, you know, 24 hours a day just to be able to buy groceries. I know that I can take my time. I can think things out. I can, you know, weigh options, make better decisions. And that even with the kind of like volatile nature of how Bitcoin moves, for the most part, like I know that I'll, I'll make it through those kind of like worst case scenarios. So I think a lot of other Bitcoiners feel that way too, um, because they've gotten financially free through their investment and through their risk taking and through being within this community and really, really becoming responsible for their finances and, and responsible for their wealth creation and their wealth management.
all these other cryptos that now exist, are they all like bad copies or are, is there anyone that you think is is good or, or is it only Bitcoin for you? Mm-hmm. Um, it's only Bitcoin for me. And the reason for that is because one, like I, I think everybody on the journey like goes through their little crypto phase. And again, like traders, you know, use it to speculate as speculative assets that they play around with and then they dump on unsuspecting people. And that's where I think it becomes a very morally gray area. Um, one, most cryptocurrencies are some form of a scam. And that's because um, they're like, one, like they're usually bad copies, <laughs> if we're going to, if we're going to even call them that. Um, but two, they're like experiments, they're trying something new. Um, but it just, it's, it's so the the entire structure of it is so volatile, like from, from like the marketing to the poorly structured companies to you know big egos within the space and there's really like using a blockchain for a lot of the thing for a lot of the utility cases that some projects want to use is just unnecessary um it's really inefficient like a blockchain is not a very efficient database as far as databases go because you're literally making millions and millions of copies over and over and over again of the same information plus one. And it's just, it just, it just becomes really, really, I don't know, inefficient. Like it's just not something that you should strive for as a company and the projects that are pretending to be money. Well, money is kind of monopolistic in nature. Like naturally there's natural monopolies and monopolies aren't always, don't always have negative connotations. They're not always bad. So money like people want to use the best money because the best money holds the most value over the longest period of time so money naturally is monopolistic so eventually there is going to be one or two or three or five right um that most people want to use and sure you can use money for different things as as like use different financial instruments but most of the cryptocurrencies right now are either outright scams they're just poorly managed startups right which over 50% of startups fail within like the first year. Um, and and a lot of them are like pump and dump schemes or Ponzi schemes. They're there to enrich the creators or the small team behind them. Um, a lot of them are just literal cash grabs. And a lot of them are false marketing. For example, Ethereum has been marketing itself as a scalable virtual machine, supercomputer, contracts platform, uh, better money than Bitcoin. Um, I've honestly at this point have like forgotten half of the ways that they've marketed Ethereum. Uh, but a couple of years ago, literally the founders went to a conference and they said, oh, yeah, we knew it wasn't scalable the entire time. See, like that's a huge problem to me because that is like by the book, legally and morally, m- like marketing fraud, like just just complete fraud, right? You're telling people who are buying your product, your tool, your whatever they wanted to call it at that moment, a digital thing, digital product, digital service, and you market it as one thing for years to get early investors to come in and buy it. And then, you know, and then hype it up and then it increases in value because more people are putting their money into it. 
And then new people are coming in and everybody's like, oh, Ethereum is so great. So they're putting more money into it. And then literally a couple years later, the founders come out and they're like, oh, yeah, this way that we've been marketing this thing, that's actually we knew that was never going to happen. But it will happen in Ethereum 2.0. Well, now all of those people were basically duped into buying a false product. And will Ethereum 2.0 be scalable? We don't know. So um, that kind of like that, that kind of uh, uh, playbook is what a lot of the other cryptocurrencies are using. And I don't want to say that all of it is malicious, but probably 99.9% of it is. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about anarchy. And I find it interesting that most people who don't understand anarchy think it's uh, chaos and disorder. But when you really dive into the anarchy mindset, it requires uh, a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, growing your own food or trying to manage your Bitcoin uh, or to run your own business, not having a boss, all of this requires responsibility. And um, it, it's annoying that um, the corporate media or whoever it is that made chaos be the synonym for, for anarchy, you know, where it's actually, you know, order out of chaos. I'm sure you've met with this this kind of resistance as well. Yeah, for sure. And I don't necessarily like I used to be, a, you know, very outspoken about it. Um, but I think on my own personal spiritual journey, I've I've really come to a place of accepting like the reality around me um, because of anarchy, really, because of um, well, because I think I, I credit a lot of it to Mark Passio's natural law seminar, um, because that really cleared a lot of cobwebs from my brain. Um, I also credited to Walsh, who wrote uh, Conversations with God, which I read the first book last year, and have really, um, really become excited about watching the the stories of good and evil you know quote unquote kind of play out um the the beautiful differences between humans with different ideologies even if those ideologies bring us to very dark places um but i think one of the biggest like kind of things that that carried me on my on my journey was uh trying to well writing or at least starting to write a fiction novel um, where I wanted to really show what an anarchist society would look like. And um, in that, like reading, writing that, I realized that to have a hero's journey and to become a hero, you really need like an amazing villain to be the antagonist of the story. You kind of need a little bit of that chaos and and that, um, I hate to say violence, to make the story interesting, to keep the reader engaged, to uh, bring color to, you know, that characters have to have trauma to be exciting and interesting. And I'm not saying that that kind of fantasy novel has to translate to the real world, but if you look at it from a very macro perspective, um, all of those things and all of those experiences are very, very valid um, and 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 interesting and colorful, and that's kind of what humanity is all about. Now, I'm not a proponent of chaos and you know murder and war and rape and all of those bad things, but I can kind of uh, see it from a different perspective now and and have. Um, I don't know, I guess have some kind of just, I don't know, just like deeper understanding of, of how humanity functions and, and why we do the things that we do. But yeah, um, anarchy in itself, like 
if we are to evolve, which I do think that we're doing, all of those things eventually fall away. Like they're not like they're not part of my experience. Um, I don't participate in those kind of things. I don't hang out with people who are for those things. Um, so, and it's because I've taken this responsibility for my life and built strong borders and you know meditated on these ideas and decided that that's not the kind of reality that I want to live in. And I think this is such a huge topic that definitely can't be explained in like one podcast. <laughs> um, but right, because it just took me years to like get to that point. But from somebody who's new to the idea, um, it really is about like common sense and natural order and not hurting anybody and not taking people's stuff. Because that brings the most amount of joy and the most amount of happiness and the most interesting experiences. Because in, in an anarchist world, like we would still have problems. People would still, you know, go through things that we naturally call suffering. Um, although from my perspective, it's more like opportunities to learn and grow. So a lot of anarchy is just shifting your perspective on the things that are that are happening in our lives and taking a more positive spin on those things and really being grateful for the challenges that come along, even if they're hard and dark and terrible, because some of the things that I've gone through that were dark and hard and terrible are the things that I am most grateful to now, right? The heartaches, the pain, the crying, the depressions, um, those things made me stronger. Those things changed me on a fundamental level. And I have to say that they probably changed me for the better. I always like direct experience more than watching the news. So now while I have you on here, uh, what's the, in Russia right now, what's the general like uh, feeling or view on what's all of the things going on right now? I mean, from their perspective, because every country sees its own narrative, you know. Um, honestly, I have to say that I have no idea. I no longer watch the news. I don't like. I try not to talk about those kinds of things. I'm really not interested in 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 that reality at the moment. No, I just meant people on the street. You know, like yeah, the news. and and people on the street. Like I don't ever. I don't ever separate people by countries. Like, um, culturally I will, I'll say like, oh, like, you know, like Mexican culture is so cool because they do this or their native food is that, or, you know, they really, um, this is like one of their favorite things that they like to do or historically, like this is something, uh, something that their people have, uh, experienced. Right. And that's, that's shaped the kind of, uh, broad strokes of, of their, of their culture. But to me, it is always the difference between the people and the governments and the organizations that serve those governments, including the militaries, including the banks, and including the large corporations that are usually in cahoots with the government and are, um, you know, creating products and services that are helping them with their agenda. And then the people. So in Russia, it's been like, like in Russia, I think it's more prevalent than maybe in America, like, because those are my two, you know, points of understanding. The people just want to live and they want to live free and they want to be left alone. And Ukrainians and Russians are extremely close culturally because this entire area has just been like a lot of Slavic people. There's a lot of similarities, especially like between, I would say, Russia and Ukraine and then Belarus and Russia and Ukraine. So especially those three countries. Um, but a lot of 
the rest of Eastern Europe too. And so we just, we believe that we're all sisters and brothers. And this is the main like human narrative within Russia too. Most people are like Ukrainians and Russians are our family. We're the same. Uh, we look the same. We basically speak the same language. Uh, we eat the same food. So it's it's really ridiculous that the the three like governments, Russia, you know, Ukraine and the United States are trying to pit us against each other. And being a Russian American, like that makes me even more mad because now the people in America who I you know, are my friends, who are my family, who are my also brothers and sisters, because I have the same like cultural background as they do, because I grew up there. Um, I have the same American fundamental values of of gun rights and and freedom and, you know, all the things that go along with that narrative. And it's, again, the government is trying to pit my friends basically against me. Of course, my friends would never fall for it. But a bunch of other Americans could and a bunch of Russians could and a bunch of Ukrainians could. And it's just sad. So to me, the narrative is always that the people want to be left alone. The people are peaceful. The people love each other no matter what country they're from. And the governments are the ones that continuously perpetrate these ridiculous divisions and the militaries and the police forces help them do that violently and terribly and against all of those people, even though they pretend to be one of us. So that will forever be my narrative. And that is probably the narrative deep down of most humans on this planet, I believe that, but they just don't think about it consciously, like consciously, they like subconsciously, they know that all governments are just really terribly ineffective, inefficient, corrupt structures, right? I won't say so far, like go so far as to say that they're evil and malicious and, you know, but they are, <laughs> but, I, but I won't say, you know, I won't say that too much, like, cause it's also just the inefficiency and just the inability to, um, to, to control humanity in any way. Like it's just, it's just, they're trying to do the impossible and they fail at every single turn. So, I think that most people subconsciously know that and most people subconsciously agree with anarchists on that all of the time. They just don't see a way out and the propaganda sometimes kind of like blows them off the path a little bit because it's based on um, emotions and it's based on manipulating emotions in humans. I think I'll leave it at that. The one that introduced me to anarchy was actually a Russian... um originally Emma Goldman um, that's how I discovered Anarchy from the beginning um, so she was very influential uh, I discovered her just before I, I was eligible to vote so I never voted either <laughs> because of her writings mm-hmm. yeah I think Anarchy in Russian also has that like chaos connotation in the mainstream but it also has um because uh, Bakunov I think was the one that wrote about anarchy and it has a very like communist spin on it. I would say it's probably more anarcho-communism in a way. So, but it's definitely not like what I see anarchy as. But I come for to the philosophy through a very like spiritual lens. Um, I see it from a very like macro soul perspective, um, and I understand that until people evolve spiritually, that 
the kind of anarchy that I'm talking about isn't like it's not necessarily like impossible. It's just improbable because we have to do the inner work to get to that place where we naturally want to be peaceful. We also naturally are brave and we naturally reject any kind of attack on on those morals and principles in our life, no matter what the consequences are. Right. Because governments will keep doing what governments do. And even and if you say you're an anarchist, but you're still doing the things that the government wants you to do because you're afraid that they're going to put you in jail or they're going to kill your family or, you know, do all of those things. Right. Um, I don't know, take away all of your stuff and, and keep you poor and in poverty. And you don't say anything against that. Or you don't stand against that, like, you know, and basically die on that hill. Then like nothing is going to change. And it takes a lot, a lot of self-reflection, self-awareness, and it takes a lot of inner work to get to the place where you're like, I am perfectly like okay with death because I know that we are eternal. And from that, there is nothing that they can do to me that would, you know, that would that would make me change my view that these structures should not exist and they are bad for humanity in general. Quote unquote, right? So if people want to uh, hire you for your services or, or uh, any other reason they want to get in contact with you, how do they do that? Yeah, so um, I love it. I love talking to new people um, and I love helping people with their security. I, I just think it's so, so important on this, on this Bitcoin journey uh, to really have that structure in place and really understand um, how you can protect yourself. Uh, for business, you guys can go to beyourownvault.com and then you can just either shoot me an email through there or um, I do have 15-minute free uh, consultations so that if you don't really know where to get started on your journey or you don't know how good your security is now, we can just chat for 15 minutes. I can tell you, you know, kind of where you are baseline and then if you want to actually schedule a full consulting session with me to build your security structure or if you have more questions that you kind of want to go through that are more personal and private we can absolutely set that up i have a couple of options online uh but the best way to reach me is on telegram at lady anarchy anarchy spelled a-n-a-r-k-i and um that's the same handle for my twitter and my instagram and i do bitcoin videos on tiktok uh there i'm at bitcoin barbie so I'll be happy to connect with everybody and anybody. Um, we can talk philosophy. We can talk Bitcoin, security, spirituality, et cetera, et cetera. I love all that stuff. Great. It was great talking to you. Ah, you as well. Again, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Follow Lady Anarchy on Twitter at Lady Anarchy. And Anarchy is spelled A-N-A-R-K-I, not C-H-Y. On the YouTubes, there are many kinds of channels you can follow. Reaction channels, mukbang channels, prank channels, comedy channels, and PewDiePie or MrBeast. But they are already making bank. Consider supporting a channel that as of yet hasn't really decided even what it is. If you build it, nerds will come. The Natural Born Alchemist YouTube channel. Search for that on YouTube and you will find it. And apart from posting the podcast, I make videos on alchemy, psychedelics, anarchy and films. Hopefully you'll enjoy them. It would really help if you subscribe. 
Thank you. Subscribe. I wonder how many podcasts there are in the world. Probably millions. And a few of them are promoting my podcast for free. And in return, I shall do the same for them. Check this out. Hey, this is Anthony Tyler, host of Black Hoodie Alchemy on the Fringe FM. You can catch me every Monday evening, 6 p.m. Pacific time, where we uh, talk about the dark side of metaphysics and we'll chill a little bit. Uh, And you can catch me the day after on Spotify or Apple or Amazon or wherever else you stream your podcasts. If you've ever wondered what someone like Carl Jung might say about serial killers or perhaps cryptids, then this is the show for you. Skeptical, yet open-minded, empirical, but philosophical. We are going to talk about some really weird stuff, so I hope you join me on Black Hoodie Alchemy. Take it easy. Everybody is in love with this word, bravo. They spend their lives trying to hear it called out to them, bravo, bravo. Crowing comes from the rooster, mourning comes from God. Welcome to Perceptions Today podcast. We will be discussing a wide variety of changing perceptions and ongoing research about topics such as consciousness, health, medicine, science, physics, history, metaphysics, the paranormal and reality. Join us as we learn and discover fascinating new information about these and other topics from people in the field, doing the research and having the experiences. During our discussions, we hope to engage you in the process to ignite your own creativity and alter your perceptions in new and exciting ways. The adventure begins now. Find us on podcast apps, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Once again, that's Perceptions Today. If you want to support me, become a Patreon or leave a nice review on iTunes or Spotify. I don't have any reviews on Spotify yet, I don't think. Uh, So please do that. Or subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search Natural One Alchemist channel on YouTube. And send me those Bitcoin All the links to Patreon and YouTube and social media can be found in the program notes and on naturalbornalchemist.com. I'm going to close this episode with a song I've played before many years ago. But it's apt for this particular episode, so I'll play it again. It's called Cryptocurrency by 13 Inlet. Check out more of the music over at 13inlet.bandcamp.com and that's 13 as in the number. Freedom is in the mind. Our looks different now. We're the world destroyed by doubt. There's no value in your account. Seven wise men stand behind what's become a shadow light. Spick, it's pouring from the sky.
Should be free. It should be. 